As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Sherlock Holmes. We present the first of a new twice-weekly series of plays, based on the short stories of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, dramatized by Michael Hardwick, with Carlton Hobbs as Sherlock Holmes and Norman Shelley as Dr. Watson. And now, here is Dr. Watson to introduce the case of The Dancing Men. Uh, thank you, sir. <clears throat> I have told elsewhere of the joyful return of my friend, Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Three years after his supposed death struggle with the late Professor Moriarty at the Reichenbach Falls. After his restless wanderings in the East and on the continent, he seemed content to be at anchor once more in the haven of our former lodging at 221B Baker Street, where our landlady, Mrs. Hudson, proceeded as usual to spoil him while continuing to deplore his irregular and untidy habits. But it was not long before he had become absorbed again in his practice as a consulting detective, ready for any investigation that gave promise of stretching his remarkable powers to their limits. I see him now, one morning, sitting in silence, his long, thin back, curved over a chemical vessel, in which he was brewing a particularly malodorous product. His head was sunk upon his breast. <laughs> he looked, from my point of view, like a strange, lank bird with dull gray plumage and a black top knot. Oh, Watson, you do not propose to invest in South African securities. Hey, Holmes, how do you know that? Confess yourself utterly taken aback. I am. I ought to make you sign a paper to that event. Why? Because in five minutes you'll say it's all so absurdly simple, Holmes. I shall say nothing of the kind. We shall see. There, that's done. Now, Watson, you've heard me remark before that it is not difficult to construct a series of inferences, each dependent upon its predecessor and each simple in itself. Frequently. Who's after doing so? 
One simply knocks out all the central inferences and presents one's audience with the starting point and the conclusion. One may produce a startling, though possibly a meretricious effect. So I don't quite see what all this is about. Now, it is not really difficult by an inspection of the groove between your left forefinger and thumb to feel sure you did not propose to invest your small capital in the gold field. What for you? I don't see any connection. When you returned from the club last night, you had chalk between your left forefinger and thumb. Well, what of it? I put it there to steady me cue. You never played billiards except with Thurston. Now, you told me four weeks ago that Thurston had an option on some South African property which would expire in a month and which he desired you to share with it. Ah. Yet your checkbook is locked in my drawer and you haven't asked for the key. Mm-hmm. Therefore, my dear Watson, you do not propose to invest your money in this manner. That's <laughs> simple, Holmes. Quite so. <laughs> Every problem becomes very childish once it's explained to you. Well, here's an unexplained one on this piece of paper. So what do you make of that? What an earth is it? Looks like a row of little men. One of them waving his flag, you see. Looks very thirsty dancing. <laughs> Childish, all right, Holmes. It's a child's drawing of a line of dancing men. Childish enough to terrify the young woman half out of her wit. And to bring her husband post-haste all the way from Norfolk to consult me. I fancy that's him on our stair now. Come in. Mr. Pugit, sir. Thank you, Mrs. Hudson. Mr. Holmes? I am Holmes. This is my friend and colleague, Dr. Watson. How do you do, gentlemen? How do you do, Mr. Gilbert? Sit here. Uh, thank you. Ah, I see you have my dancing men there. What you made of them, Mr. Holmes? At first sight, a childish prank. Prank? You have my letter, Mr. Holmes. I tell you, it's frightening my wife to death. So I understand. I think for my friend's benefit, you'd better have your whole story from the beginning, Mr. Gilbert. Well, I'm not much of a... Story, you know. A countryman born and bred. There's no family better known than the Cubits in the whole of Norfolk. They're squires of Bridlingthorpe for five centuries. Right, sir. And I understand that you've remained a bachelor until only recently. That's right. I came up to London for the Golden Jubilee last year. I met a young American woman, Elsie Patrick. I stayed in my boarding house. Well, to cut a long story short, before the month was up, I was as much in love as a man could be. Married her at the registry office and uh, took her back to Wiggingford. Congratulations. Well, uh, some thought I was mad, I don't doubt. A man of good old family, taking a wife, an American as that, without knowing a blessed thing about her family or her past. But if you saw her, you'd understand why I did it. Did she tell you nothing about her background? Oh, yes. Yes, she said, I beg you never to ask about my past. But you hate me, Elton, she says. You take a woman who has done nothing that she need personally be ashamed of. But you'll have to be content with my word for it. If you can't, then go back to Norfolk and forget all about me. That was very straightforward. Well, there was no going back for me. I took her on those terms. That was 
just a year ago. We've been very happy. Blissfully. Until just the other morning, we were coming back from an early morning ride. Hunt seized the stable lad, took our horses, and Elsie ran on ahead into the house. I'll telephone this breakfast in ten minutes, darling. Right here. Ah, good boy. Let's get him for a month. You can take him now, Hunt. I suppose. Suppose the mistress or I go round talking. Hmm. What are they? Sort of little men dancing. You know, suppose we go round talking such things on window ledges, do you? Oh, me, sir. Or Saunders or Cook. Oh, come on now. I can't eat you for it. It wasn't me. Oh, very well. Only get it rubbed off. And I don't want to see any more of it, do you understand? Thanks. Good day, Mr. Cubitt. If there are any fresh developments, 
I shall always be ready to run down and see you in Norfolk. If that's your advice, Mr. Holmes, then... Well, good day, gentlemen. Good day. Ah, Mr. Cubitt. Come in, won't you? Thank you, Dr. Watson. Mr. Holmes, I'm sorry to return like this in less than a week, but this business is getting on my nerves. Have there been further events? There certainly have. Look, look at these. Three more sets of these figures. Thank you. Ah. All different, Holmes. Excellent. Excellent. Great, and there's everything in order, Mr. Cuban. Well, when I got back to Riddlingthorpe after seeing you the other day, the first thing I saw was a fresh crop of dancing men flopped on the stable door. That was... This one. Did you rub out the mask after copying them? Certainly. Anyone else didn't see them. But two mornings later, there was this fresh inscription in their place. Capital. Our material is really accumulated. Uh, three days later, a message was left. Called on paper on the sundial again. Uh, this one. I reckoned all this work was being done by night. So last night, I determined to sit up in my study. In the dark, with a revolver in my hand. Well, it was about two in the morning. Nothing had happened. And when I heard the study door opening quietly behind me. Oh, sorry, sorry, I forgot. Thank you, Dr. Watson. It is 
Now, if Mr. Holmes will kindly let me have the table. Oh, no, no, no. What again? But he hasn't eaten since yesterday. I know, I know. Tell you what. I'll come down to the kitchen and eat mine there. But, Doctor, what? After you. What? What? I, uh, 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 what is it? Is there a thing to North Walsham tonight? I'll look for you. Um, what night is it? Wednesday, of course. Oh, I just wondered. You've been working two days on those messy drawings. Time seems to mean so little. It might have been Thursday by now. For all Please, you know. Watson. Uh, yes. Here we are, North Walsham. What time? Oh, no, the last one just left. Confound it. If only this new letter from Cupid had arrived sooner this evening, we could have caught that train. This affair has gone far enough. More dancing men? You, you found something then? That our presence is most urgently needed. Yes, Mrs. Hudson? Is that an answer to my cable, then? It is, sir. The boy's waiting if you should wish to reply. Well, I uh, very much doubt if it could be... Ah, Watson, hmm? this settles it. We must get there without delay. What is there some danger? I fear so. Well, why not warn them by telegram, the, the boys? No, 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 the place is too remote. It won't be delivered tonight. Our only hope is to take the very first train in the morning. I reached the hall, I could smell it. 
coming from the study. So I went in. Was the door open? A bit. I went in, and and there they was. The poor master and mistress lying. I'm not going to take yourself, Mrs. King. Mrs. King, only one more question. Yes, sir. Was there no light in the study when you entered? Only the candle. The one you were carrying? And the other one, on the table near the window. Now, madam, you say there was a candle burning close to the window. Was the window open or shut? Shut, sir. You didn't shut it yourself? No, sir. I touched nothing. The candle stood here, then, and the window was shut. I don't quite see the significance of it, Holmes. Nor do I, Doctor. Here we have a revolver with two shots fired. One bullet's in Kirby's heart, and the other lies near to his wife's brain. The only question is... Why do you account for the bullet which so obviously struck the bottom of the window frame here? Me? Eh? Where? Why, George, Mr. Holmes. However, however did you come to see that? Because I looked for it. Then three shots were fired, and only two of them from this revolver. So, Mr. you mean to say there was a third person? Undoubtedly. Mrs. King's evidence told me that. She smelt cordite fumes as she came down into the hall. Some draft from in here must have been necessary to blow them from the room so quickly. The window must have been opened for a time, though not long enough to extinguish the candle. As I conceded, a third person stood outside the window and fired in. A shot was fired at him and struck the bottom of the window frame. Who shot the window? Mrs. Cubitt. But she was... A woman's instinct, Inspector. Shots were fired. She sprang to the window and shut it for protection. What the guy? Hello? What's this? That? Oh, her handbag. Found lying near her. No message or anything. But plenty of cash. So I see. Yes. Twenty-fifty pound notes. A thousand pounds? It must be preserved as it is. It will figure in the trial. What do you make of it, sir? Now, there are several points of this problem which I've not been able to explain to you yet, and this must remain one of them. But we must act quickly. How, sir? Firstly, by searching the flower bed outside this window, where I have no doubt we shall find the spent case of the third cartridge. And then? Mr. Martin, is there any inn in this neighborhood known as Eldridge's? Eldridge's? Eldridge's. No, I can't. Hold on. There's an Eldridge's farm over to East Ruston. Is that a lonely farm? Oh, very, sir. Ah, then perhaps they'll not yet have heard of all that happened here during the night. Very likely not, sir. Capital. Now, will you have the goodness to instruct one of the stable lads to saddle a horse and go there at once with a message which I shall give him? Well, I don't see you. Now, Watson, a piece of paper from that bureau, please. All right. There you are. Thank you. Now then. What? The Abe Slaney? Your religious farm? Holmes, who's Abe Slaney? You'll find out soon enough. And, uh, Inspector, mm-hmm. I think you'd do well to telegraph for an escort. As you may have to convey a particularly dangerous prisoner to the county jail. Really? The boy who takes this note could no doubt forward your telegram. <laughs> As you see, Watson, this, uh, this is not my usual form of communication. Johnson, men. Now, Holmes, what the... 
I thought we'd wait in this morning room because it has a very pleasant view of the drive. Oh, very pretty, I'm sure. Only Make I... yourself comfortable, gentlemen. And while we await the outcome of my dispatch to East Rustland, I think I can help you to pass the time in an interesting and profitable manner. Well, to you, friend Watson, I owe every atonement for having allowed your natural curiosity to remain so long unsatisfied. Thank you. To Mr. Martin, the whole incident may appeal as a remarkable professional study. Uh, remarkable is the word, eh, Doctor? <laughs> I am fairly familiar with all forms of secret writing, and I am myself the author of a trifling monograph upon the subject, in which I analyze 160 separate ciphers, but the use of these dancing men is entirely new to me, and has been invented, apparently, to conceal that a message is being conveyed by giving the impression of random sketches by some child. I see. Now, as you are aware, E is the most common letter in the English alphabet. The figure most common in all these troops of dancing men was this little fellow with legs apart and left arm upraised. Operatic tenor taking a high C. Oh, very good, Watson. Only it's an E in this case. <laughs> <laughs> now, speaking roughly, the order in which the other letters of the English alphabet tend to predominate is T, A, O, I, N, S. And so I had two messages complete. The first of which read, And here Abe Slaney at Elridge's. Now, I had every reason to suppose that this Slaney was an American. Well, how is that, Holmes? Abe is an American contraction. Mrs. Cubitt's American origin and her reticence about her past suggested that there was some criminal secret involved. I therefore cabled to the New York Police Bureau asking whether the name of Abe Slaney was known to them and received the reply, Abe Slaney, the most dangerous crook in Chicago. Why, George? On the very evening this answer arrived, Cubit sent me the last of his dancing men messages. It read, Elsie, prepare to meet thy God. I knew there wasn't a moment to lose. Unfortunately, Watson, we did lose our moment and reached here to find that the worst had already occurred. Yes. Hello. Who's this? If I'm not mistaken, Abe Slaney. What? What's he doing here? I invited him. Well, he doesn't know it, does I? Hmm. Powerful looking gentleman, isn't he? Hmm. I've given instructions that he's to be directed immediately to this room. So, I suggest we take our positions behind the door. You need your handcuffs, Inspector. Very good. But you can leave the talking to me. Tell me to get over here first. I wrote it. 
Look, Elsie's star, old Patrick, invented this dancing men code, and nobody outside the gang knew it. What one man can invent, another can discover. Her father was in a gang with you, you say? Sure, he was the boss. Now you know what's in the past, eh? I also know that she expected you to come here last night and had a thousand pounds ready to offer you if you'd leave her and her husband in peace. Eh? But he was waiting here, too. Wasn't he, Slaney? Look, it, it, it was self-defense, I tell you. He shot at me first and hit the window frame. You shot back through the open window simultaneously and killed him. A servant thought both shots were one. You fled. Mrs. Cubitt sprang to the window and shut it, then picked up her husband's gun and turned it on herself. From remorse, I dare say, for bringing him to his death. If she recovers, she may yet have to face the charge of murdering her husband. What? The least that you owe her is to make it clear to the whole world that she was in no way directly or indirectly responsible for his tragic end. Okay. I ask nothing better. I guess you fellas are cops. All right, you can take me. I won't try anything. I guess I've done enough. I'll bring in a couple of my constables, then. Mr. Holmes, I only hope, if ever I have an important case again, I'll have the good fortune to have you by my side. Thank you, Inspector. The credit shall be yours. For myself, there has been the satisfaction of a singular inquiry. As to my friend Watson, <laughs> I think that I provided you with something unusual for your notebook. Yes, indeed. Then come along. Three forties, I train. I fancy we should be back in Baker Street in time for dinner. The Dancing Man by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, was adapted for radio by Michael Hardwick. The part of Sherlock Holmes was played by Carlton Hobbs and Dr. Watson by Norman Shelley. Hilton Cubitt, Humphrey Morton, Elsie Cubitt, Anne Murray. Mrs. Hudson, Janet Morrison, Inspector Martin, Fred Yule, Mrs. King, Janet Hitchman, Abe Slaney, John Bentley, Hunt, John Gray. The production was by Graham Gall. The next play in this series, A Case of Identity, can be heard at 8.15 on Thursday on Radio 2. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. 
But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.